When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. And I'm Alex Hollingsworth. Welcome to The Hidden Curriculum. A podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. Hey everyone, hope that you had a great week. Uh, we're excited to bring you this episode today where we are learning to talk to the media. Uh, before we get into that, uh, I would like to know, Sebastian, what's the last thing you Googled? The last thing I Googled? Okay, can I actually see it? I don't remember. It, I mean, <laughs> it's something boring because it's probably something about work. Oh, it's about um, we're hiring this postdoc and I just used my Google to Google like the, the Google Sheets postdoc that we created. So I don't know. That wasn't the fun. Well, there you go. That's what it is, yeah. right? That's, Alex, what about you? Uh, so, so mine is actually, I, I didn't know before I did this, but it's banter questions to oh. ask. <laughs> So it's very, it's very meta, right? And this one yeah. came up in one of the lists. That's right. So um, um, what about you, Fedeva? Uh, oh, the last thing I Googled was probably, uh, I'm looking for a sofa. So, oh, okay. Good <laughs> so sofa. I've been, are we yeah, using Wayfair I've, or are we using a different kind of website? I've been on every website possible okay. that can sell sofas. Cause I, cause there are some sales right now going on because of the president's day weekend. So I'm kind of hoping that if you you buy a sofa not on sale, you've done something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Always a sale. My current (laughs) sofa is from Big Lots and I'm pretty happy with it. I love Big Lots. So, there you go. Sponsorship <laughs> opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, our special guest today is Fenaba Ado. Uh, Fenaba is an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, she's the Lauren, uh, Lorna Jorgensen Went Associate Professor of Money Relationships and Equality, or more, in the School um. of Human Ecology's uh, Department of Consumer Science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison prior to joining UNC. Sorry, that was a mouthful. So I screwed up the uh, the, the no, past tense there. And at Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Health and Society postdoctoral scholar. She received her PhD in policy analysis and management from Cornell University. Uh, it seems like we're having a lot of Cornell people on here. We got a, we got a good connection Oops. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, And it holds a BS in uh, economics from Duke University. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's, I hope, looking forward to it. <laughs> we are as well. Uh, so before we get into it, uh, do you have a shareable fun fact for us? Yeah, so I had one, but then you know, I got uh, reminded of something this morning from my four-year-old daughter. So I'm going to share uh, okay. not what I had prepared, but something new <laughs> that she reminded <laughs> nice. me of this morning. Uh, so I cannot sleep without wearing socks or... Oh. Oh, well, and socks and having like something on me, like a blanket. Okay. She, she does not sleep with socks on. So she is fascinated by the fact that <laughs> it's, a hold... <laughs> it's a contentious so issue. So do we, do we do this in the summer as well? All year long, all, year. all temperature long. I need socks on. It's kind of like a, I don't know what you would think, like a, like a comfort thing. Right. Like soothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soothing, yeah. Have you tried the weighted blankets at all? Is that like. I, I, I have not. I have I okay. probably, you know, that'll be a. They're good. <laughs> you have one, yeah. Sebastian? I, I gave one to um, 
my partner as a gift. Um, but then sometimes I like like and use it, and it's it's it's. It, I mean, obviously, it doesn't solve all your problems, right? Because like it's meant to. It's not a real anxiety. hug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you let, want it, oh, it, it does feel good. Highly recommend. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Another sponsorship opportunity. Way to yeah, we're missing so many sponsorships. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we dive into today's topic, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about a paper or a project, anything you'd love to promote. Uh, sure. So um, I guess I could say, you know, my work, broadly speaking, examines the role of economic resources on families and households. And I've been particularly interested in the role of debt um, and rising wealth inequality um, in the lives of um Historically, marginalized communities, um, in particular, um, Black and African-American households and Latinx communities. Um, and most recently, uh, I have done a lot of work and continue to do work on racial disparities in student loan debt and both the causes and consequences for the racial wealth, yeah, racial wealth inequality, especially among young adults. That was a mouthful, but... <laughs> but that's awesome. Very, very that's, important. That's where my headspace has been the last few years. That's great. And okay, maybe, can you quickly talk about what kind of data sets you're using for these? Because these are really interesting questions that um, I would be interested in knowing what you get the data from. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, I mean, I have, I mean, ever since grad school, um, done most of my research with uh, the National Longitudinal Study of Youth, the 1997 cohort. They have extensive asset and debt modules on young adults or this particular birth cohort, cohort excuse me, panel. <laughs> uh, they're a little bit older, uh, like older millennials. So um, the most recently released wave, they're probably approaching 40. Mm. Um, so they were kind of at like the forefront of the uh, student debt crisis, if you want to call it <laughs> a crisis. Mm. Right, right. Um, and I also work with the Survey of Consumer Finances a lot as well. Um, gotcha. My other work, I've worked with uh, like health and retirement studies. So I'm quant quant person. I like panel data sets. All right, great. So now let's dive a little bit into your workflow. Uh, we'd love it if you could share a little bit about how you uh, approach uh, your job on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, where do you put in research tasks? Where do you put in everything else? Uh, just how do you uh, make it all work? Uh, so um, I was thinking about this and how best to answer this question. I think it, one of the major things is if, whether or not I'm teaching. Um, that will probably yeah. dictate how my week and by, well, I should say my semester goes, but how I plan my week. Uh, so I do do something called Sunday planning, which is oh. every uh, Sunday at some point when I get a chance. Um, I just kind of, I, I still rely on paper journals and mm. I kind of block out um, my classes <laughs> and then um, my day um, um, as much as I can um, mm -hmm. and try to be as specific as possible with regards to when I'm going to get writing done. I try to write in the mornings when I'm not teaching on days that I don't teach um, and then um, schedule meetings. I, 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 this is something I've had to work on mm -hmm. over the course of many years, but um, to schedule meetings on days that I teach because teaching exhausts me so much yeah. that <laughs> I can't really do writing on teaching right. days so I you know like office hours meeting with students and any other any other people that want to work with me and I just have a question like when you mention the word writing do you mean like literally like writing words for a manuscript or is that just like any research time uh, yeah that's a probably? great re that's that's research time <laughs> time to my own 
devoted research? Um, yeah, that's a great question because it's, um, I am someone who has multiple projects probably going at the same time and I have to work uh, usually to deadlines or conferences or, uh, you know, R&R uh, &R, uh, right. deadlines and stuff. So yeah, um, it's whatever is most pressing at the moment. And this Sunday planning, which I really like, how long does it take you? 30 minutes, an hour, or shorter or longer? It's usually pretty short. So I think once you get into a rhythm and you know what you're going to do, I, I pull up like my outlook on my mm -hmm. computer and then I have my journal and maybe I would say about 30 minutes to an hour. I, okay. It also times, sometimes gets conflated with me answering emails for, or mm -hmm. things that I've neglected and try to get out in front of the week. Um, right. Gotcha. But yeah. And is that also how you handle like, uh, like I can see that the week to weeks and let's say you have like a deadline within a month that you need to submit a paper for a conference or something. Is that like, how do you embed that into that weekly system? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I think I'm going to try to be realistic in answering yeah. this question. Um, I don't, I try not to think that far out. I try to think within that week, what do I need to get done? Um, um, and that's probably, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's currently what's working for me yeah. because, um, that may, that week, that, excuse me, that month project may not be the priority right now. I may have a deadline that's pressing for that week. And so, right. um, but, you know, if I do know it's something that is going to require multiple weeks to get mm -hmm. completed, then I'll say, okay, what can I get done, mm -hmm. um, this week? Like, is it read an article or, mm -hmm. you know? Run That's the results awesome. again, check and check, right. you know, and do a robustness check or something like that before. before. Do, do you like assign tasks to each day? I'm always like this. We talk about this all the time. So people are probably sick of hearing it now, but it's like, <laughs> it's so hard for me to like guess how long stuff's going to take to do. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, I'm never, I'm not good at that at all. It's just, you know, honestly, it, it's kind of like I have, um, let's say like 9 30 to 11 30 on Tuesday for oh, research. Mm -hmm. What, what am I going to work on in that block of time? And then once I know what I'm going to work on in that block of time, what is it that I need? What, what tasks do I need to address for that particular mm -hmm. task? That's mm -hmm. probably as specific as I get, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I haven't gotten down to the, you know, the smart goals yet. It's tough with uh, the smart goals when it's like uh, uh, a publication, because your goal is like, publish this in a year. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's got to be like, send it out or something. I don't know. Right, right, right. That's so funny. My guess is that in non-teaching semester, it looks the same, but you're just dedicating more time for research or is there something different that happens in non-teaching semesters? Yeah, non-teaching semesters, I, I, I've I, learned that I have to be a little bit more intentional about my time because I get stressed out <laughs> when I feel like I'm not uh -huh. uh, progressing at the same time. So I find that actually working in community is really important. Um, okay. And that means... Um, you know, you know, I guess you guys talk about this a lot. So like doing Pomodoros with friends virtually is something that I love that. Do, do you have like your actual friends on the on the webcam or is it just like a different I, way? I have done a combination of both. I've done the Zoom. I'm not a huge fan of that, but I, I can do it. You know, if my friends yeah. need the support or right. no, I don't I don't leave the, the video on. Um, but we usually text and just say starting. Um, that's stopping. so cool <laughs> yeah um, right. and so uh, what are we doing you know setting some goals or what are you planning what are you working on right now um mm -hmm. breaking and then coming back together so gotcha. and did you did you create that or a community or somebody brought you into that community that was already created for that system 
Um, the main one I think that's been the longest has been just a bunch of us who started at the same time. Um, mm. You know, we were assistant professors. We all started at the same time and um, we're trying to get something started mm-hmm. <laughs> and build community, you know, together. Yeah. So that's neat. Mm-hmm. One of the things is I, you know, is that we're actually from very different disciplines. Um, so um, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but I actually like that aspect a little bit um, and I, yeah. um, about it. So, yeah, that is pretty cool. I love, I love that. And I, I love, for example, working in coffee shops and like seeing other people working makes me work. Yeah, and is. this time has been real terrible. So I have my 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 roommate from grad school, James Harrison. Like I sometimes I text him, be like, "Hey, work sesh," and we just like get on Zoom and do that. And now I have like a little bigger group that we're starting to do that too. Uh, well, bigger by like five people, but like sometimes I need that because otherwise. Like, it's so funny how my self-control, it's like, no, you don't want to work. But other people are yeah, working. Like, I'm going to throw on Netflix for like 30 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's ruined. like people, day, please. people need me to watch The Mandalorian and I will watch The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> it is the way. It is the way. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk of the hitting curriculum topic of the talking and dealing with the media. Dun, dun, dun. And the many ways that this comes. So obviously this probably cannot be contained to a single episode, but we just love to, we would love to hear tips and tricks uh, from our guests. So maybe um, let's start with kind of telling us about your first media interactions and how they came about and how you felt about it. Sure. So, you know, I honestly, it's kind of hard to remember what my first <laughs> sure. few um, interactions were. Um, I will say that they were, uh, I think they were tied to uh, an early publication. Mm. Um, so um, it was probably when I was in graduate school, uh, I had co-authored some pieces with uh, some of the professors in the department and uh, Cornell has like did a press release. And so when there's mm. a press release <laughs> related to your research, it kind of just, you know, you don't know where it's going to go or who's going right. to pick it up. And several right. different outlets were interested. And at that time we were doing um, some work around um, mar- marital quality um, mm. Mm. and relationship tempo. So um, I was getting contacted by uh, kind of like magazines and oh. like family life magazines, women's magazines <laughs> to talk okay. about relationships. Um, so uh-huh. I think those were probably, I'm thinking that that was probably one of the first um and w- just quick clarification, the process of your university picking up for creating like a media press release, was that like somebody telling them to do that or they they did that on their own initiative? Like, how did that work? If I remember correctly, I, um, you know, you would always kind of let the department or the school know when new publications were out. So they have like a communications team or person mm-hmm. um, and um, if they thought it was something that might be of interest uh, to, to to media, mm-hmm. um, then you kind of, they summarize it. They, so they mm-hmm. summarize the article, um, you know, kind of make, change it to layman's terms so right, people right. could actually understand what you, what the question was, what the mm-hmm. uh, main findings were, and then they send out the press release. Got it. So, um, yeah, so that that's one thing that has was kind of interesting. And when I shifted from Cornell moving to UW, um, the school that I was in didn't have like a dedicated communications team. Um, mm-hmm. Over time, they actually built one, but you may have to be your own <laughs> press agent, right. uh, you know, um, if your school doesn't have uh, have some that 
you yeah, know. Yeah, we had something similar, but I've just been at one institution and we had like a change in the media team and it went from like me feeling like, oh, this person will like help me and write these things to now it's like, oh, I have to like write my own thing and I have to like put it into layman's terms. And it's actually been like helpful to help present it. But man, is it a lot of work to create that stuff for, uh, for media people. Do you have like, like when, when you've been working with them and like, what, like, like what, how did they summarize your results for the, for the media? Did they like take stuff out or like put it like, what exactly did they do? I guess. Yeah. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is that they keep asking me over and over again, because I can't (laughs) say it in a way that is clear (laughs) or not, doesn't have um, academic jargon in it. So, so you know, they usually happen, like there's multiple iterations of me talking to them and and then rephrasing it back to me. And I'm saying, that's not what I said. Let's try this again. (laughs) So, I mean, there is sometimes if there, if time allows or time permits, um, emails that go back and forth or, you know, our conversation over the phone uh, where mm-hmm. we go, you know, talk back and forth about it. I mean, if you, right, if you are the one who sets the narrative, um, then there's a little less, you know, need to do that. Um, yeah. And oftentimes they'll see what you wrote and then contact you and be like, is this what you found? Or is this what you said? So kind of asking you to um, confirm what mm-hmm. you're, what you, what you've written and what you said. So is this, is this your, uh, I understand this was your first experience with media. That's what we were talking about. But is this your like continued to be your preferred way Mm. of engaging with media? Or do you have like, how has your uh, process evolved since then? Oh, wow. So that's uh, another great question. Um, Yeah. So that has not been the only, only way um, through print media. So I have gotten contacted um, both by reporters who are working on stories and they just want me to comment on like, maybe like there's a new, um, data set or a new report that's going to be released mm. by like a think tank um, and they want me to comment on um, mm. the, some of the findings because um, it's in an area that I've done research in. Um, so I get a lot of uh, oftentimes a lot of those kinds of media requests um, and then I also get uh, media requests again on some if I have a new report that comes out uh, or, excuse me, or a new, uh, sorry a new article mm-hmm. an, a new article that comes out um, and um, one of the interesting things that I, that has happened over time is that um, once you um, once a reporter interviews you or uses you in a story, they actually come back to you, um, mm. especially if it's in uh, an area of that they continue to do work in. So if it's an education reporter, if it's you know the family or lifestyles reporter. Um, mm-hmm. They'll swing back around and they'll ask, you know, do you have anything new coming out? Do you have mm. um, anything that you would like for us to talk about? Or you think that might be, um, you know, you, you want to get some exposure on. So you can start to actually build relationships with reporters over mm. time. That's cool. I, and that makes a lot of sense because then you can, uh, this issue of, of you know, trust in what they're going to write, you know, it because it's a repeated game, then obviously they don't want to write something. Yeah, so absolutely. one question there is... Um, so how, how did they start approaching you? Is it because like somebody tell them or like, I, I'm thinking of like the grad student who's just starting to write some stuff and maybe they don't have this report from their institution. Is there something that they can do or should they just wait? So it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I think they're because of how, you know, large social media is and how um, accessible we all are these days. Um, mm-hmm. I've even gotten... Um, contacted 
you know, because I presented at a conference. So, mm. you, you know, um, the reporters are, are, are everywhere and looking over. If you put yourself out there, you know, okay. it's, it's kind of like out for public consumption. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the, one of the um, important pieces is, are you doing work in an area that is of right. current interest or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's um, in the news or as a potential hot topic? That's something that you can't really predict. But if you do feel like you have an important contribution or uh, point of view that you want to put out there, then you might need to be a little bit more intentional, right? Write mm-hmm. an op-ed, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, write a blog post, maybe even tweet uh, right. about it. Uh, I'm, I'm not that active. I mean, on Twitter, I'm there, but I'm not that active <laughs> on Twitter. But um, I know a lot of, uh, you know, you can get the eye of a reporter um, mm-hmm. using that as well. In regards to establishing these relationships, uh, I have a question that has come up a little bit on Twitter that I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about, um, and I'd love to get your take on. Uh, so I totally get uh, helping reporters uh, or people with questions they have about studies or things that you think fall into your area of expertise. Um, but what I found is that I actually got a, a few contacts or questions from reporters where they want to know stuff that I think falls out, outside of my area of expertise. And I turned down some of those requests to to do the interviews, but I've seen other people share their take where it's like, no, like maybe the next person they contact wouldn't be as qualified as you. It's like, you should still do that. Plus it's good for you to establish this relationship. It, I don't want to like put you too much on the spot, but like, what do you think about that? Like, what if they ask you questions about stuff? You're like, I don't really know yeah. about this area. Yeah. So I'm with you on this. I, I say, <laughs> I, I, it is settled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I say, um, so one of the things I'll, I'll go back and then, you know, um, I'll say, have like your two or three points that you want to make before the interview, right? Um, either your findings or the points you want to make. And that is what, you know, you say when they interview you, they will always try to make you say, give some like broader implication or ask if you're saying something else and you can say, no, that's not what I'm saying. No, I can't comment on that. Um, that's outside my area. Um, and oftentimes what I also will also do is recommend someone if I know someone who mm, ah, can that's a good one. speak to that area. So that also helps, you know, <laughs> give someone else exposure, but also can help the reporter because if they really are trying to answer um, or, you know, find uh, someone who can speak to it, then, then that's, then, then they, you know, that's super helpful for them. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm, I have no problem <laughs> saying that I cannot speak to that or that that's something that I don't know about. Um, what would you say to maybe a junior scholar that is kind of just starting to get their feet wet and in, 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 in talking to the media and maybe they had a one person approaching them and then they, they kind of feel like that uh, I, this is somebody that they should talk to an expert on. Right. And they don't consider or see themselves as an expert. And now let me talk about some personal story here where I, that happened to me, where they wanted me to talk about a potential implications of like the Supreme Court and the ACA. And I was like, gosh, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's not that I don't know. It's like, well, I have some ideas, but like, I just felt so unsure about myself. Um, but then, you know, I took some time and I was like, OK, here are the things that I can say that maybe are meaningful. And, and I, you know, I was trying to read stuff and whatever. And then I said, yes. And I think there was a, there was a shift in which I felt like I had to, I, I don't know what I want to use the word courage, but like something to be like, no, I can do this. You know, I am not, I'm not like somebody who doesn't know things. I know something about this topic and I can say something. So 
is there is there uh, I don't know something that you would say to that kind of scholar out there or um, or a different way of thinking about that decision making process? Yeah, that's a great question, and I know exactly what you're talking about because <laughs> I think um, you know I've had those same thoughts about you know why me? Why you know am I? Am I, do I know enough? Mm-hmm. You know, you'll never know enough. You'll never know enough, but, but like, can right. I, can I comment on it? So several things come to mind. One is, um, you know, you have to remind yourself why you do this work and mm. why, um, and, and the potential for, you know, at least it's important to me for my work to reach beyond academia and reach the people that I study and, and, you know, are are in the communities that are are being impacted by, you know, the policies (laughs) that are happening. So, so I, so I think about that, you know, I think about where do I want my research to go Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, Mm -hmm. and interacting with media takes it far beyond, Mm -hmm. (laughs) beyond beyond any, any journal, journal article. And then also who do you want to have a voice in the conversation? Mm -hmm. Right. So I remember, you know, very, you know, being very young and watching pundits, not saying that I'm a pundit, but like watching people <laughs> on television. And those are people who people look towards as the yeah. expert in a topic or are the people who are setting the conversation. Um, and I think many of us in academia, um, that's something that we want to be able to do it, is, you know, to, to not only contribute um, to, you know, building knowledge, but also, um be um you know be the be one of the voices that are contributing and, and contributing to the ongoing conversation um and i think you know like like um like alex said earlier you know if not me then they move on to the next person right um but does the next person will the next person bring the perspective that you have or you you mm. know your um both, both the work you've done, but also who you, who you are. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm a black woman <laughs> right. for people who don't know. Right. That's right. Cause it's audio. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I bring a, a different perspective, you know, based on the identities and then, you know, different, um, mm-hmm. in, in identities that I, um, inter- you know, intersect with. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, a lot of uh, the people who are who are the go-to experts don't look like me, haven't had the mm-hmm. life experiences that I have. And so that's right. And maybe people want to hear from somebody like you, even though they're telling the same kind of stuff. Per, per yeah, certain, or you know. and I may be saying something different, you know, and maybe right. that's what they need to hear. You right. know, it's right. not it's not something that they're gonna get if they went to someone else. Right. Um Interesting. so um yeah, do you do you feel like you have something to contribute? Um mm-hmm. Do you want someone else talking about your research? That might be another thing you need to think right. about as well and interpreting it in a way that you may not necessarily want the yeah. conversation to go. I have a couple of questions about, so I've, I've done a fair number of interviews where like uh, I'm assisting a reporter with background on a particular topic. Uh, and occasionally they've used quotes that I've had. And I think I've been accurately quoted, but in a couple instances, and it seems minor, and maybe it is minor, but like, I feel like the spirit of what I was trying to say is like not correctly mm-hmm. captured. And in only one case that did I then email the person back because it was about whether or not some paper was publication worthy or something. And I just like, they had asked me like, what else would you like to see in this paper? And I was like, I don't know, like A, B and C. And then like, they 
wrote like Alex Hollingsworth wants to see like this done before it's published. What like, a jerk. <laughs> I was like, that's not exactly the same thing, but I could see how this reporter thought that. And I, I wasn't trying to say the paper's bad. Um, but like, when, when do you like reach out and like have pushback or like, do you just kind of have to like say it and then pray that <laughs> it's good? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yes. No, no. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I think if you feel like you've been misquoted or, you know, misinterpreted, we live in such a, you know, like a dynamic media space that if the, if the reporter is, um, receptive and you know cares about their own you know um, as like I said journalistic integrity then they can fix that especially if it's just like an online um, printing they'll just edit it you know if you if you want to get correctly quoted um, mm. so I would I would push back if especially if you think you've been misinterpreted or misquoted um, and I guess on that like um, I, I thought what was really interesting is when you said like when you uh, like once your research is out there like people might interpret it in different ways than you like intended mm. or, or thought of. Um, I was wondering if you could ex- expand a little bit more on that. I, I've definitely experienced that in my, in my own case, someone wrote an op-ed and part of like the thing that they linked to was one of my papers being like, we shouldn't have lockdowns for COVID. And I was like, Whoa, oh. like, I agree. When unemployment increases, yeah. people might do more drugs, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have right, lockdowns. Right, right. <laughs> at the same time. They weren't like, it's not like crazy to, to be thinking about those using that as a lot, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the, um, the other sides of doing mm. and putting your work out there is that it may be misinterpreted. Um, and I think it is up to you to, to decide how much time and much energy you want to devote to dispelling, you know, those, mm. um, you know, that misinformation, Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it may be worth it. I mean, to, to kind of either write a response op-ed or I was misinterpreted or get on Twitter and, you know, try mm-hmm. to see how much of a reach that, that can happen. Um, but sometimes it may really not, you know, again, depending on the magnitude of the issue or, you know, the mis, the misinformation, it may not necessarily be worth it, um, to, to, mm-hmm. to respond. Yeah. Um, I've taken probably the latter approach about, you know, especially when you do work in, on um, contentious topics such as race and racism yeah. within the United States, right. I often get um, people who are, uh, you know, uh, I get responses <laughs> from from the from from the public who um, mm-hmm. have yeah. misinterpreted what I've said. So, um, this is something that I think we you both touch on, but but let me ask another question, and it's a question for both of you. So, how do you just you get a request. How do you decide whether you want to take it or not? Like, what are your kind of like set of criteria that you both use um, when somebody asks you about something? Uh, the first one is if I'm available. So one of the things right, time. I'm sure Alex <laughs> is well aware of is that reporters work on very tight deadlines. And so mm. usually if they contact you, That's they're like, point. I'm trying to finish this article by this afternoon. Maybe the Oh, next wow. Oh, it's like that. Something really fast. It, yeah, it can be really fast. Um, so if I am available and, you know, they'll say, oh, I need 10 minutes, 15 minutes to respond. Um, then I, that, so that's probably the, the, right. the, first criteria. the main right. drive. <laughs> yeah. The first criteria. Um, and then if it's in an area of, uh, that I know something or I can comment on, um, you know, if I, if I can, if, um, if I feel comfortable talking with them and if it's from a media outlet that I know, <laughs> 
assuming it's on a topic that I have some expertise on, I have pretty much always said yes. Uh, I have occasionally, uh, because I am slow at email, and there were periods of my life where I was like days before I was like getting to parts of my inbox, totally missed a request from a reporter who was on a deadline. Um, but I've, I've typically responded. I don't, I don't get a ton of media requests or anything. It was, um, it's like one or two papers that, that I seem to get requests on, but, uh, sort of to answer your one question about like, what are some like unknown mm. outlets? I have this one paper on like vaping, uh, mm. and marijuana. And I had got a request from people from like weird, oh, maybe they're not weird, but like, like weird names I was never heard of that are like websites, like some marijuana times.org or something and like <laughs> but they were like legitimately interested and had like read the paper so oh, that's funny. I, for the most part communicated with all of them right um, but i clearly had never heard of those outlets right. before the dude news.org right yeah, yeah I, that one i would <laughs> obviously get priority so. <laughs> Got is, that, that, is that a thing i'm afraid to google it <laughs> no no please don't do that <laughs> Um, that's awesome. So let me, um, walk, uh, take a little pause here and, and say that I think in this conversation, I noticed that, for example, some benefits of approaching the media and talking to the media is that your work is going to get out there. And that's important, especially if you consider your work to be important for policy relevance. There's also the benefit of, of having your own particular voice. And maybe that's attached to an identity, um, that, uh, it's good to have in that conversation. There's some drawbacks, obviously, depending on your time and depending on the experience that that reporter or person that you contacted in. Is there is there anything else there, for example, that that I think you guys mentioned that maybe I'm missing from the drawbacks and benefits part? I, I guess one thing I will say a drawback is I, I guess we kind of also uh, spoke to it, but um, you may not always be able to control the narrative, right? Right. Um, so that. Um, you know, it is someone else who is going to ultimately interpret the work. Right. Um, and so you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. One of the um, ways that you can is if you do do live interviews. So, you know, mm. I've done some radio interviews and those are always, those have been fun. I haven't done many, but I've done, I've done a few. Um, and I always have enjoyed doing them and even doing kind of like call-in shows where people call in and ask me questions oh, about cool. some of the That's topics. Neat. So, so those are, those have been real, really great. I think oftentimes people just want to provide their story or the perspective on the topic. Uh, you get that especially a lot with around um, people's uh, individuals. More of a comment than a yeah, question. <laughs> a comment than a question. A comment than a question. <laughs> exactly. I have sort of unrelated to this topic, but a question I wanted to ask you earlier that I just don't want to like lose before uh, we wrap up. Um, so you work, you publish a lot in sociology journals, um, and I think they have a, I think they have a similar time lag from like when you produce a working paper to when like the paper has page numbers and is published. Uh, this has been a thing that's kind of come up in at least with me and with other economists that I know that like the paper is like mostly done like three or four years before uh, it has page numbers. Uh, often, you know, if you get rejected a lot, it's been a working paper online. It maybe even has like citations. How do you like? How do you think about per media and relation when mm. in this world of working papers with this large time lag? Or how does that change how we should approach things? Yeah, so I would say um, that the time lag is long, but it's definitely not as long as econ. <laughs> I know econ has gotten better, <laughs> but um, the timeline isn't as long. And usually, when sociological articles are 
made public, it's as close to publication or has already been accepted and is just working its way through the the last stages of the publication process. So that's, I think, one of the (laughs) main differences is that, you know, it's already gone through the peer review process when it's been open for public consumption. There is, has been a growing movement within sociology to kind of increase the working paper series, Mm -hmm. embrace, embrace that similar practice, but it's been slow. So if you see a paper, yeah. <laughs> you see a, <laughs> if you see a paper that is um, a working paper or has been published, it's probably um, been already gone through the peer review process. I see. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess I just to clarify, sure. what you're saying is that when you're uh, begin the process of like uh, media attention on a paper, it's typically accepted or conditionally accepted at, at a journal, and it's yes. not often before yeah. that. That that is probably more than not the case. That it's but would done. you would you feel comfortable doing that with a working paper that has not been accepted or something or, or somewhere? Or at that point, you would I feel- would personally not. Okay, um, That's but good to know. I don't necessarily judge people who feel Got fine it. <laughs> putting it out there. Um, I think that's just how I was, as a, how I was raised, <laughs> how, I was, how, I was, how I was trained. <laughs> right, how I was trained, that's funny. Um, another question that I had, again, before we maybe we go to the summary in another mm-hmm. section is, did you receive any training and was that training helpful? I sat through several um, uh, trainings. So my postdoc offered a few okay. um, um, through the Robert Wood Johnson mm-hmm. Foundation. We had a few working with the media and also um, we had modules on what we, what they call knowledge transfers. So how do you get your work, you know, in wow. an accessible form yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for, you know, for public consumption or for, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the mm-hmm. media. So I have had, you know, yeah. at points throughout um, my training, some. Uh, and were those helpful, you think, or, you know, there's a couple of things you can let us know from what you learned there. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I guess I would say that I've never really shied away. If you look at, I guess, my CV on trying to do um, like non-peer-reviewed kinds of writing. So I've written reports, I've written blog posts, mm. and I, I always find that I'm not. I think that I'm not good at it, <laughs> but I'm. Right. But as I do that, I'm working through it and trying to get right. better at it. So if that if this is something that you are interested in or are interested in doing, I think taking those opportunities, um, you know, and giving yourself an opportunity to kind of try that kind of writing um, helps. Right. It builds the confidence too. Probably. Like building, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's what I would say um, is don't shy away from, from opportunities mm-hmm. that may be outside of your, you know, right. uh, your comfort um, mm-hmm. and try to embrace them because we only can work to get better. And then also I would say partner with somebody who is very mm. good at it, you know, mm. who has the experience Mm Because I'll write something and I'll think that this is great. And then I hand it over to them and they're like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I will say one of the things that that I I have or I'm still working towards or integrating that is, you know, as researchers, we tend to like bury the lead. And, you know, because I want the, you know, I want you to be excited at the end when when I do the big reveal. But they're, you know media doesn't have time for that <laughs> they want to know leave <laughs> the lead. opposite hey leave yeah. it the lead there you go <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the big takeaways that i had that i think is was at least new to me is like think about uh working with reporters and media in general as establishing relationships mm-hmm. so um you can offer insights about your own work but also about other work and other related things uh, and that might help you in the long run, but it certainly helps push forward the narrative and uh, just information disposal uh, in general. 
Also, uh, it's okay to say no, but if you do say no, like a referee report, try to suggest somebody else. But if you do know something about that subject matter, you know, get out there and tell people about it to have an impact. You have to reach people. People don't read journals. If we're lucky, they'll read the news or watch TV about the news, but that's your best chance. Uh, And you got to think, you know, do you want your voice in that conversation? Uh, And when you're talking with the media, I think this sort of was, uh, we were talking around this the whole time, but, you know, be clear and concise and, you know, don't use the fancy words specific to your field. Like try, try to understand, like, what's the main point? How can I explain this uh, Mm -hmm. to to somebody clearly? To that last point, um, if you can, sometimes uh, ask the reporter for questions in advance so you can actually prepare. Right. That's a good um, tip. Before. That's a very good tip. Yeah. Oh, you're not thrown off guard. You're like, oh, yeah. I have no idea. Like, That's what you tip. maybe do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you can practice. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for those insights. Every week, we like to ask our guests for a recommendation of the week. This could be anything, a podcast, a quote, a command, a recipe, a book, a song, anything that improves your life. What would you like to share with the listeners today? Sure. So I, uh, I'm i teaching this semester. And one thing, I'm teaching remote synchronously. So okay. um, I meet my students twice a week. Um, You're doing a, a, a live TV show, essentially. Live yeah. TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've, so this is not my own like invention, but I've, I've had other people recommend it. And I'm doing it the first time this semester, which is I'm starting each class with a song. And I'm trying to... Yeah connect it to the topic or even something that's going on, you know, yeah. um, in the mm-hmm. world or during that time. And I yeah. love it. It's been like <laughs> the best, um, both fun trying to find songs. Like I've got my partner looking for music. I've got my sister <laughs> looking like for music. It. I'm like, I'm about I to teach it. this. Can you give me a song? And then I tell me, you know, we're, we're in the process, we're creating a playlist. So it's, right. it's been so much fun. And so I what's been, you're like number one hit so far. Oh, so I think the students really liked when I played War by Bob Marley. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. They were they were commenting and then it got into a conversation and chat about what was his best song or you know, uh, what is their favorite songs. People love those um, questions. So so that was that was a fun day when I played that song. <laughs> I, I endorse this recommendation. I also do it too. And I throughout the year create a playlist of like songs that I want to play in the beginning. So that's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um you guys Alex, are like Peloton is- instructors or something. <laughs> this one's gonna get you pumped up for today. Exactly. This one yeah. is boring because today's boring. <laughs> yeah. There's one that you know I have the tiger right before the exam to get them pumped. <laughs> Um, Alex, what is your recommendation of the week? <laughs> All right. So I've been uh, doing like, obviously the worst part of the publication process is revisions just because you're like mentally done with the paper. And I find that like, I am so prone to typos when I'm mentally done. Like after I've done all the new analyses and everything, I'm just trying to incorporate the new text in. I like, I don't know. I can't seem to get myself to do it. So I've uh, also, I normally would like go to a colleague's office and be like, could you like read this page? And I can't do that now. So I'm making my computer read things to me and it's great. So I turned oh. on, I have a Mac and I turn on the accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's like select, mm-hmm. like read selected text or something. And so now whenever I hit a keyboard combination on my uh, keyboard, it'll read the highlighted mean. text and it's like robotic and it's like, it's not perfect, right. but I've, I caught a lot of typos. I don't think I would have caught otherwise. That's so awesome. That's a really happy. good idea. Yeah. yeah. Is that through Word or is it through the Mac? So I, I, the I think it's a Mac thing that like will okay. read text that appears somewhere on your screen. Um, okay. I, I presume something similar exists on PCs. But, it does. Um, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Accessibility. Okay. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It's, it's um, super robotic, but it, it works. <laughs> 
the identification is strategy. Is yeah. And then if it's like, <laughs> if it's like justified and it's on like the next line, I'll be like the identity. Yeah. Oh, right, right. It's like, oh, okay. I, was that a typo? Like, no, you just couldn't read. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, my recommendation of the week is going to be a book. The book is called The Public Professor, How to, U- How to Use Your Research to Change the World. This is by M.B. Uh, Lee Badgett. So I'll put the book in the show notes. But it's a really cool book and talks about like their experience um, of the author with, with how to make the, re- uh, the research you know, fit into policy. Um, it's a you know, little bit of a different take, but I like it. I re- I'm going to recommend it. Um, also, well, thank you so much for being here with us today. If people want to want to find out more about you and your work, where should they go? Google me. They're probably the only <laughs> Fenobaato that will come up. <laughs> and you'll get to my uh, my webpage at UNC. I also have an old website floating around there. Um, but you can also <laughs> find me on Twitter. Also put it in the show notes. Great. That's all we have for you folks today. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Let your friends know about this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys.